Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to jump back into our series, A Brand New We. We've been talking literally line by line through the book of Ephesians. And uh, Paul's got an incredible letter that he wrote to a group of new believers, a young church, while he was in prison. And uh, we've been going chapter by chapter, and I want to jump right back in um, to where we left off. But before I do, there's a, there's a concept that Paul has tucked in to chapter four, where we're going to be spending a lot of our time today. And I think the best way I can explain this or maybe anchor this thought uh, to you is to talk to you maybe about a principle that Kayla and I uh, use in our parenting and in the way we raise our children. Y'all okay if we start there this morning, digging into that? What does raising children actually mean? Have you thought about that before? Some of you sit back and go, well, what did I do? How did I get myself into this? Um, I had somebody tell me just this weekend how, how amazed and how proud they were of my oldest son. They had an opportunity to work with him. Uh, today at a serve day, and I said, it is the hardest thing I have ever done, but it continues to be the most rewarding thing that I've ever done as well. So what does is, what is raising children actually mean? Does, it, does raising children mean just keeping them alive? I don't know about you, but sometimes I think mission for today is don't kill them myself. Is, is anybody else like that that can relate? Saw a couple hands in the back. Is it just providing for them? Is that what it is to raise kids? You just, you just provide for them? Give them everything they want? Mm-mm, not at all. A couple of kids are saying, yeah, 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 do that. No, it's not. There's gotta be more to raising kids than just giving them everything that they want. Is it just protecting them from harmful things? If that were the case and we just lock them away, right? Oh, guess what? It's your 18th birthday. You get to see sunlight. And by the way, move out of my house at the same. There's more to parenting than just that, right? It's, it's more to keeping them alive. It's more than just providing for them. It's more than protecting them from harmful things. I thought about it once and, and realized that in many ways, parenting is a lot like governing. Parenting is a lot like governing. What do you mean, Pastor Don? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, as long as you live in my house under my roof, you're going to follow my rules. Anybody heard anything like that? Some of you, mm-hmm, yeah. Some of you are afraid. They just, I just gave you PTSD from hearing your mom and dad say that uh, to you as well. But it's, it's kind of like governing. But here's the problem. My kids, if I live that way, that's great for now. But one day, my kids will no longer live under my roof. They will no longer have to follow my rules. So what do I do then? Right? There's, there's, there's this challenge. And here's, here's what Kayla and I realized. My job as a parent is to try to have my house, my government, look as close to God's government as I possibly can, being as imperfect and human as I am, so that one day when they transition from my government into God's government, they don't go crazy and they have some sort of a picture of what it looks like. In, in, in the real world in that. And, and that's the challenge. How do I help them understand God's way of doing things even when I'm 
and perfect. Now listen, there's so much to unpack here, and I promise as we continue our journey in the months and years to come, I'm going to show you what I think everything this book has to say about being a parent, because there is no better way I can help you in your spiritual walk, those of you that have children or are in that stage, than to do that. But I only have one thing that I can get to today, this one concept that I want to focus on to help us anchor in to what I think Paul is saying today. And here's, here's this. One of the primary goals of raising children is bringing them to a place of maturity. I'm going to say that one more time. One of the primary goals of raising children is bringing them to a place of maturity. Now, here's why that's so hard, right? There's not just one stage of parenting, is there? No, it changes on you. About the time you get one thing figured out, they've grown, they need something else, it's, it's different for you. How many of you feel like you're just constantly trying to catch up? Absolutely. I've got a picture of my beautiful family that I want to show you today. There's me and the five normlets. That's what we refer to them in our household. Those are the normlets um, that, are, that are there. Cole will be 13 next month. Madeline, who will be 10 in October. Avery, who's almost eight, will be eight next week. Garrett is two, and little Elodie tucked there in the back um, is just under one year old. And I think we've about figured out how to make them all look the same. Um, Lots of practice, that's how you do it, for those of you that are, that are wanting to know. Here's, here's the reality about parenting and what I need you to understand. There are different stages to parenting. I'm going to put these on the screen for you so you can see them. Different stages to parenting. You start off as the caretaker, right? What does that mean? It means they're completely dependent upon you. They can't do anything. My, my number four and number five, if, if we don't get them out of bed, they're there all day long. If we don't put it in their face, they're going to starve, It's every single detail has to be accounted for and attributed for and provided for. We are caretakers. And then as soon as that season is over, we go into what I like to call cop season. It's the no, yes, stop, go type season. Kayla had a a young mama approach her not too long ago and says, I'm just, I'm so tired of saying no. I feel like all I do is say no, 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 all day long. And Kayla said, that's the season you're in. That's the season you're in. We're raising our children. It needs something different from you. Next season after that is what I call the coach season, right? Where you just model and encourage. You're demonstrating. You're showing them, giving them face-to-face. This is what it looks like. This is what I'm trying to help you with. And then if you keep them alive long enough, you get to transition into the next stage, what I call the consultant stage. How many of you are in that consultant stage where, listen, what you think don't matter unless you get invited in, right? And if you handle the first three stages well, parents, let me tell you, you're going to get invited into that last stage where you get to listen, you get to support, you get to advise them across the way. But here's, here's the problem. They don't need the same thing from me every season, And for those of you with large families like ours, I'm constantly shifting hats. I go from, oh yeah, you can't take care of yourself to stop doing that to, no, son, this is what it looks like, come here. And I'm praying one day they love me enough to ask my opinion because right now they don't get a choice. They have to listen to, to that. But I'm constantly switching hats as I'm on this journey to help them mature and be young 
people one day. Here's the problem though. If I'm not good enough, if I don't transition, if I don't shift, if I'm not adjusting on the fly to this, I could keep a child in a season long after they're ready to transition to the next role. Y'all, y'all see that? Here's, here's what happens. If you stay too long in one season and you never progress to the next season, you'll stunt your child's development. But the same thing is true also. If I progress into the next season too soon, what will happen? Well, then I'll create a child that's what the Bible calls wise in his own eyes. And he'll be prideful or she'll be little miss I know it all in, in, in the middle of those things. And, and so it's very difficult and very important that you understand how to do this because raising children isn't just keeping them alive. It's not just providing everything for them. It's not just keeping them from harm. It's actually helping them come to a place of maturity. The way I parent Elodie, my infant, is totally different than the way I parent Cole, my teenager. Y'all with me so far? You, you, you following? But the goal for both of them is the same. I want them to come to a place of maturity. So how do you know when your child is ready for the next stage of their development? How do you know when you move on to the next season? Is it age is it all based upon their age? Is, is, is each season defined by the child's age solely? Some of you are shaking your head no. Some of you are looking at me like, please tell me right now. Please, please, please tell me. Here's, here's the aha moment that Kayla and I came to in the middle of this, and it's simply this. Progression into the next stage of development isn't based on a child's age. It's based on their maturity. It's based on their maturity. That's how you know when to progress to the next stage. I'll give you some examples. In our house, we don't say, no, you're not old enough. We don't, we don't say that. We tell them, you haven't demonstrated that level of maturity yet. There's a difference. We, we don't say, hey, yes, you can do that when you turn 13. We tell them, hey, you can do that when you can be trusted to take care of your responsibilities without me having to remind you all the time. And if that happens when you're 10, then guess what? You're mature enough to handle that freedom with the responsibility that you're handling. If it takes till you're 17 or 18, guess what? Your maturity will dictate that stage. So one phrase puts him in a position of just having to wait it out. No action necessary. And then the other puts him in a position of being responsible for their own maturity. I want my children growing up in my house, my form of government. Because remember, I've got to transition them to God's government. I want them to understand that their growth, their development, their maturity is more their responsibility than it is mine. Y'all don't quite get this yet. I'm going to keep going a little bit. I would say it this way. Age comes with time but maturity comes with effort. Age comes with time, maturity comes with effort. Isn't that how God's government works? Isn't that how things work in the real world? Is your spiritual development really based on your age? Like 18 years old, you wake up and poof, you're mature. No, does it turn, you turn 50, your 50th birthday, all of a sudden you're wise? No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, and you know that. How many of you know some young people that are well more mature at their age than you were at yours? A few of you. How many of you know some old people that aren't near as mature as they should? Don't raise your hand, quit pointing to people. 
don't, don't, don't do that. Here's what I need you to know. Your spiritual development, your maturity is not limited by your age. It's a function of your maturity and you're responsible for your own development. Say this with me. I am responsible for my own growth. And here's where we're going to transition to our text, what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. This picture that he's unpacking for this church in Ephesus, as well as for those of us who read those words today. For the last several weeks, we've been taking it on a journey. Paul's had this syllabus for us, and it started this way. You have a new identity. And then he says, you have a new purpose. And then he tells us that purpose is going to involve other people. And now he's adding this to our syllabus. He's building upon everything we've learned so far. And this is what he tells us today. This is the title of my message for those of you that are taking notes. Your maturity matters. Your maturity matters. Everything that he's already told us, everything that he's unpacked unto this point, brings us to this moment where we look at the text and we understand, wow. My maturity matters. And there's a correlation between your maturity and your ability to accomplish the purpose that God has given you in this world. If you don't work on that, you're going to miss it. We may walk together, but we mature individually. Right? We've had a lot of conversations about being together and being on the same page and all this. Paul's about to shift the story on us And he's about to show us that you're still an individual person and you can be in the same room with everybody else moving in the same direction and stay immature in your faith while everybody else is growing in the maturity. He wants to make sure that as we move together, we grow together and we mature together. That's where we're headed. Last week, we left off with Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6. I'm gonna read it to you just to catch us up. Here's how he ended. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's a message of unity, a message of being part of something bigger than yourself. We are one, but. And that but makes a big deal. Look at what happens in verse 7. Right next verse, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What's he talking about? He's saying, hey, there's one, we're together, it's unified, but it's a contrast. We're to do this together, but grace was given to each of us. Literally, in the Greek, it, it, it means this, yet to each of us individually, grace was given. Each of us individually. He could have said, to each of us, grace was given. He could have said, grace was given to us individually, but he chose to use both words right together to make a point to really drive home to us that, yes, we're supposed to do this together, but grace has been given to us, each one individually. It's as if he's saying this, the call to unity is not a call to uniformity. There's still room for us to be together and not be cookie cutter, exactly alike, every single one of us. Unity does not do away with individuality. Let me take a poll real quick. How many of you would say, Pastor Don, I was not raised in a church like this? Anybody, let me see your hands. Probably the majority of us in that. How many of you would say, it's been hard having to come to a church like this when family and friends that I grew up with don't? 
You say, that's not how you were raised, right? It's, it's difficult. Some of us sitting here don't realize the price that others have had to pay just for coming to a church like this. It's a challenge sometimes to think about that. But listen, God's plan for church isn't for you to cast aside what makes you different to become like everybody else. His plan is to make room for what makes you different alongside of the people that are here. There's no power in everyone being the same uniformly. There's power in us being diverse and still moving in the same direction direction that's what he's trying to tell us this is what he's after here's how the new living translation says it he says however he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of christ that is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people it's in quotes he's quoting from psalm 68 there it's a unique grace given to each of us individually. And you may say, well, Pastor Don, for what purpose? Why, why? Look what else he gave, verse 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And if you miss this phrase, you'll miss the whole thing today. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. My biblical role as a pastor is not to do ministry. My role is to equip the people to do ministry. That's what scripture tells us here. We say, well, what kind of ministry, Pastor Don? Well, that depends on that specific, unique gift that you were given, that Paul was talking about. My biblical role is to equip you for ministry. Your biblical role is to use your gift to do that ministry. Are you following me so far? Okay, for those of you that aren't following me, I'm going to show you in scripture where we see this. Here's an example of sheep doing ministry. This is not a shepherd doing ministry. There's a picture of sheep doing ministry. This is Jesus's words on the final judgment from Matthew chapter 25. Here's what it says. It says, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. Look at this. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep. Everybody say sheep. From the goats, say goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, he's talking about who? The sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And he says this, for I was drunk or I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. They go on and say, well, when did we see you, Jesus? We, we don't know what you're talking about. And he says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Look at those words, feeding, providing a drink, inviting into the house, right? Giving clothing, caring, right? Visiting. Sounds a lot like ministry, doesn't it? But who was he talking to? He wasn't talking to the pastor. Oh, I get in trouble if I don't do these things because I'm the pastor. But scripture is very clear that my job is to equip you to go out and do these things because you're the sheep. And if I don't, and if you don't, you don't get to call yourself sheep, do you? What do you get to call yourself? Goats. We don't need a church full of goats. We need a church full of of sheep, and if we do this right, I won't be the only one here called to do ministry. 
You were gifted by God to do ministry. That's what Paul's telling us. And again, that same question. Pastor Don, what kind of ministry? Well, that depends on the gift that you've been given. Here's what the Apostle Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. If you have the gift of speaking, preach God's message. If you have the gift of helping others, do it with the strength that God supplies. Everything should be done in a way that will bring honor to God because of Jesus Christ who is glorious and powerful forever. Y'all following that scripture? What are you saying there? Do you think Brittany and Bree and Stacy and Ryan and, and, and uh, Andrew and Nathan and, uh, and Isaac, you think they're gifted? I, I do. And what happens when they use that gift every Sunday? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Was Tyler not gifted to come and to exhort us right after worship and, and draw our hearts straight to where God was in the moment of all that? What would happen if he just came in here and sat in the pew every Sunday and didn't use that gift? If, when, when you meet Gene and Andrea at the door walking in, you feel like a million bucks before you've taken that second step in the door. Why? Because they're gifted to do that. If you have the privilege of placing your little one in Miss Mel LeBlanc's hands when she's over serving in nursery, guess what? She's gifted to do that and our little ones are well cared for by people who are gifted to do that kind of ministry. You've been gifted a gift to serve others and it will look differently than other people's gifts because each of us individually, though we're moving in the same direction, have been gifted individually. Have I belabored that point enough? Are y'all ready to move on with the conversation here? Pastor and graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, Pastor Ray Stedman said this, there seems little doubt that this is where the early church began with new converts. Whenever anyone by faith in Jesus Christ passed from the kingdom and the power of Satan into the kingdom of God's love, he was immediately taught that the Holy Spirit of God had not only imparted to him the life of Jesus Christ, but it also equipped him with a spiritual gift or gifts which he was then responsible to discover and exercise. You've been gifted a gift to do ministry, that you are responsible to discover and to exercise. And then what, Pastor Don? What, what happens when I'm doing that thing? What happens when I found it, when I, when I put it to work? Let's move on, Ephesians 4.13. Here's what it says. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, there's that word, that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that one section right here. Paul shows us what maturity looks like. Mature believers walk in unity in their faith. He shows us that mature believers have a knowledge of God's Son that changes the way they live. Do you see the connection between your gift and your maturity? He's not only telling us that what maturity looks like, he's showing us how to get there. How do I get to a place where I grow in my maturity? He would say it's by using that unique gift that God has given you that you are mature. It's the use of our individual gifts 
that brings unity in this house. Y'all following me so far? It's the use of our individual gifts that shows others what Jesus looks like. And it's using our individual gifts that brings us to maturity in the Lord. I will say it this way. If you don't use your gift, the church won't be unified. Others won't know about Jesus. And you yourself won't be mature. I don't know any other way to tell you. And I had a conversation with my seven-year-old last night. We had to make a tough decision on what his morning would look like. He was very disappointed, but he was not operating in maturity. And there at the side of my bed as he's debating and appealing the decision that was ruled from the governor of the house, I said, son, I need you to understand what I want for you is maturity. And I will sacrifice your short-term happiness in order to promote long-term health for you as long as I possibly can. But I didn't decide this for you. You decided this for you when you chose something. But dad, I did. Did 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 I choose that? No, no, okay. So who's to blame for this consequence you're facing in your life right now? And he had no other choice but to look me square in the eye and say, I did that, it's, it's, it's my fault. That's right. You can place the cop badge on me all day, but my goal is to get you to a place of maturity. Isaac, come help us out for just a minute. Here's what verse 14 says. It says then, and afterward, in other words, after we're using our gifts, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. How do you know what is true and what's not if you're not working on your maturity? How do you know how to to be mature and walk in your faith if you're not around people who are doing the same thing? We gotta do this. If you don't grow into maturity, you'll be susceptible like a little child to believing the lies designed to stunt your growth. I think some of us, many of us in here have believed lies that stunt our growth because we haven't taken every opportunity afforded to us to grow in our maturity. And one of those ways Paul's unpacking to us is using our gifts. I'm so proud of everybody who came to serve at our serve day yesterday. Here's why. You grew in your maturity. You grew. You put your hands to something bigger than yourself. And God took that gift that was inside and you elevated it. And you said, man, I didn't know it was that. I didn't know I could do that, but, but I'm willing to use it. And I'll, I'll put it to work. And the more you do, the better you get. Was that Tyler's first time on stage? No. How many times do you think Tyler's been doing that? Couple. That gift was always there. Now you get to see it in its maturity in that. Look at this, Ephesians 15 through 16. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Here's Paul's reminder that this is, this is some tough love that he's given us. He, he's got to love you enough to tell you, quit sitting on your gift. Use it. It's tough love. Here's what he's saying. We're going to grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. 
As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Some of you wonder, man, I I think this is the place that God has for me. I think this is the place where I'm supposed to be. But sometimes I don't feel connected to others. Can I tell you what Paul's saying here in this passage? He's saying it's the use of your gift that will help you find the connection that you need. God's responsible for making sure we all fit together perfectly. It's not us. And he's gifted us individually so that when we come together, the pieces fit nice and tight together. Ushers, help me for just a minute. I've got a gift that I want to give each of you guys today. Just a little token um, that I want to hand out. It's a, it's a small gift for you. It's just to remind you of our time here together. As the ushers make their way quicker, more quicker. I've got a puzzle piece I want to give you. They're handing you a bag. If you're at the end, reach in, grab one of those pieces, take it out, and pass it all the way down the row. I'd like everybody to have a puzzle piece today. As I was looking at scripture, I thought, how can I help illustrate what this looks like for all of us to be a part of one picture, yet fit together perfectly, individually, in the middle? Grab that puzzle piece as they're they're handing them out. And I want you to have that in your hand. Everybody get one. And I want you to look at this puzzle piece. Shouldn't be foreign to you. Some of you like jigsaw puzzles. Some of you run anytime you see one. Um, Kayla loves some jigsaw puzzles in in the middle of this. Take that puzzle piece. Some of you are trying to put it together next to the person next to you. I don't know if that's going to work. Question for you. Can you look? Everybody take a look at your piece. Can you look at that piece and tell me what the bigger picture looks like? Just by looking at your piece, can you do it? No, you can't. You can't. And if the individual piece that you're holding doesn't make it on the table, will the puzzle ever be complete? What would happen? Here's what we're going to do. When I dismiss us here in a little bit, we're going to put the puzzle pieces together. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. You'll be here. Some of you are looking at me like, is he serious? Like, he's really going to make us do this? Oh, man. Oh, man. We're a fan of spiritual authority, but you may be taking that a little too far, Pastor Don. You want to see the picture that all your individual pieces make? Yeah, let's show them. Let's show, this is the picture that I, and you think, oh, that's cute. It's a couple birds and an acorn and a squirrel. And Pastor Don, what in the world does that have to do with church and Ephesians 4 and all of this? And let me tell you, not a thing. It doesn't have anything to, it was either this or the Disney Princess Castle. Um, apparently Walmart was struggling in the puzzle department uh, for something like that. Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Every puzzle piece has a place. And if that piece isn't there, then the puzzle is not complete. And many of us are sitting here today and you have no idea the place that God has for you in the big picture he's trying to create for our church. And some of you are starting to do it. You're you're signing up for serve day. You're coming to to next steps or you're joining that small group and, and you're starting to realize, man, God's given me a piece. And for so long, I've looked at my uniqueness and I've looked at my individuality and I thought, man, am I destined to be alone? God says, no, 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 I gave you that. 
I fit and formed it and made the edges fit perfectly. And maybe you've been so disconnected because you've never stepped out to say, hey, I got this one. Where does it fit? And when we do something like serve day or when I say, hey, we've got a trip coming up or we've got, hey, we've got an opportunity to come to Next Steps or an intro to serve. We want you to get connected and join a group and all that. All I need you to do is say, I don't know that it's that much, Pastor Don, but this is the gift that I've been given. And if you'll help me, I'll be willing to put it on the table to find where I fit. Here's what I need you to know. Your maturity matters. It matters to God. It matters to me. And it matters to the people that are sitting on these pews next to you. If you'll grow in your maturity by using that gift, you will be connected in a way that is undeniable. You know when that fit and that piece fits together, don't you? Those of you that put puzzle pieces together, you know that's where it goes. Yep, all right, move on to the next one. That's what it's like when God unpacks that in your life. I want to invite everybody today, if you would, just bow your head, close your eyes. I just want you to listen to me. Just listen to my voice. Nobody looking around, nobody moving around. There's a bigger picture that you're supposed to fit within. I don't want you to get lost in a crowd. I don't want you to simply say, oh, I'm here, Pastor Don, and I I show up every Sunday and really wonder, am I using everything that God has given me? Pastor Don, is it possible that God brought me here for a reason? Is it possible that God has something for me? I want to tell you, receiving that unique gift that God has for you begins with you being born again. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I don't know if I died, the first face I would see would be Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. Jesus had a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And here's what Jesus said. He said, unless you've been born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see it. You say, Pastor Don, what does that, what does that look like? Grace was given to each of us. That grace empowers us. It's an empowerment to be able to A, admit that I'm a sinner. That there's sin in my life that has separated me from a righteous and a holy God. That same grace comes to our life and it empowers us to B, believe that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay a debt that you and I could not pay. To live a life that you and I could not live. And that same grace given to each of us individually comes into our lives in a moment like this and allows us to be able to confess Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Our Lord. His way is better. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I've never prayed to be born again today. I've never seen my life this way in terms of God's gift for me. I'd like you to pray with me to be born again today. I want to know who I'm praying with. Nobody nobody looking around. Every head still bowed. Every eye still closed. But from right there where you are, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward. I just want to know who I'm praying with today. If that's you and you say, Pastor Don, will you pray with me today to be born again? I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. Go ahead. Raise your hand so I can see. Thank you. I see your hand. Both of you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. 
I see your hand there in the back. Anybody else, keep your hands up so I can see them. Thank you, I see your hand. You can put your hands down. Before I pray and lead us as a congregation in this prayer, I wanna make sure there's nobody I'm forgetting. Don't let a moment like this pass you by because you're unsure of what this looks like. We're committed to walk with you and to help you on your spiritual journey, but you have to take this next step. You're responsible for your maturity. Before I pray, all across this room, if you didn't lift your hand last time, but you want me to pray with you, I want to ask you to lift your hand so I can see it right now. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, those of you that raise your hand and everybody sitting next to you. As illustrative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone, I want you to repeat this prayer after me today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate with those who were born again this morning?